everybody, and welcome to episode four of Clothed Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. It's going to be a whopper of an episode today because we're talking about Stunt. Fantastic album. Very, very excellent. I'm Ephraim Ellis, uh, and today I am wearing blue jeans and wool socks and a Weaker Than's band t-shirt from, I think, like 2006 that has some curling paraphernalia on it. It's pretty, pretty sweet. I like it. And I am Chris Small. I am wearing a plaid shirt with plaid pajama pants and a baseball cap for the New Orleans Baby Cakes, a triple A minor league baseball team based in New Orleans. Um, so I feel like there's a story here. What? How did you become a fan of the Baby Cakes? There is a very good story. All right, it, I don't know if we're going to have enough time, but here we go. My friend went to New Orleans. He bought this cap. He gave it to me. Okay, cool. True story. Cool. Uh, it's okay, my friend yeah. from Australia. He did a trip around America, and for some reason, he became obsessed with the New Orleans baby cakes, just saying, what what a name, what a logo. I got to get this hat. And I don't know why, because he's not even a baseball fan, but it just became his main drive. So he bought one for himself, one for me, one for another friend of ours, and now we've all got matching New Orleans baby cakes hats. Probably the only people in Australia to have this type of headgear. So um, I really, really like that. I've always wanted a Toronto maple leaves cap which is a it's not like a triple a or like a minor league team it's like a different like ontario baseball team like completely different league but they basically all have the leafs hockey logo it's pretty amazing (laughs) also pretty sure that officially their name is spelt the leaves as opposed to the leafs for legality (laughs) which i think is pretty great i respect that attention to grammar so chris question before we get into the episode so we 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 recorded our last episode a while back. In in your opinion, how much time do you think has passed since we last recorded? Oh, Ephraim, well, it's been... Almost one, one week! We- <laughs> almost one week. Almost one week. That's it, folks. We're talking about stunt this week, so... That was the podcast. <laughs> I've been planning that joke for so long. I'm so happy that we experienced this together. So, stunt... I'm so glad I picked up on what you were trying to do as well. I am. It was great. I am so thrilled. About it. I, I'm happy, but I'm also like, ah, oh, but like if it had taken you a, a little while to get, I think it could have been a good big, like a good bit. Uh, speaking, speaking of baseball, you really, you really lobbed a, a, a slow one <laughs> a there sl- for me. You set up very well. Thank you. Uh, that was just a straight fastball right out of the park. Amazing, guys. Off to a good start. Released July 7th, 1998. I was in grade seven. It was a good year. The number one song in the Billboard Hot 100 that week was The Boy Is Mine by Brandy and Monica. Brandy and Monica. What a what a song. The only reason I know that song is I listened to a wrestling podcast that it's just become a running bit that one of the hosts did a high school talent show dance to that song. And now every time he tries to make a serious point, they'll just begin playing The Boy Is Mine. <laughs> That's fantastic. Similarly, the number one song of 1998 was Too Close by Next. I completely, I was not into R&B in the 90s, and I feel like I was missing out. I feel like I'm like slowly building up my education in my like mid-30s now. You can't see this because this is an audio format, but I am making the way over my head gesture right there because yeah. I have never heard of this song before. I had never heard of that song either before, but I looked it up and I was like, oh yeah, no, no, this is a banger. This is pretty good. It's just not in my wheelhouse at that time, and I'm trying to educate myself now uh, in the year of our Lord 2020. The number one song on the Canadian Billboard of 1998 was of course my heart will go on by the woman herself celine dion of course it was 1998 that was just titanic mania it came out in summer 97 i thought though 
but I guess like it would have been on the radio and just like would have been on the forefront of everyone's thoughts for the entire next year and a half. Pretty much. I mean, that song and that movie were, um, I mean, still just cultural touchstones at this stage, right? And yeah, I guess with the whole like Oscar race with that song for best song, which I don't, I don't think it won. Maybe it did. I'm not sure. But I mean, like it was, it was huge. I'm not going to look it up, but I'm going to bet money right now that it, it must have won because there would have been like riots in the street if it hadn't. I really thought LA Confidential should have won Best Picture that year instead of Titanic. But I mean, that's because I'm a contrarian if you have not figured that out yet from my opinions on the Bare Naked <laughs> Ladies thus far. Stunt reached number three in the US in the charts. Wow. Okay. Which is crazy and weirder. In Canada, it only reached number nine. What is that about? Really? So what bizarro year was 1998 where that's that's really interesting. Up is down, left is right, and the Bare Naked Ladies charted higher in the States than in Canada. Uh, but this was kind of the album that put them on the map in the States, hence one week and the joke it's been. That's the joke. That's the joke. There are four singles from this album, Call and Answer, Alcohol, It's All Been Done, and, of course, One Week. It's been... One week in particular made it to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 singles charts. That single alone sold five million copies in the United States of America. Holy moly. So when we were talking about Born on a Pirate Ship going gold in the U.S. like last year, being like, hey, good for them. They just, in a couple of years time, everything was just going to be smashed. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I think that this is kind of the height of their charting in the States. Am I wrong about that? Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be, I mean, it's really interesting because we're going through 15 albums, I think we said commercially, and for them to kind of not peak because they still have huge success in in the States too. Like they still tour, they're, they're worldwide, they're known. But I think that this is, for so early in their career, quote unquote, this is going to be the most commercial success they'll ever have, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one week specifically, like you hear in a lot of different like media as well, it's been featured on a lot of different TV shows and in movies and in bad stand-up and improv jokes, as we just established (laughs) earlier in this episode today. Yeah. No, it's a really, it's a really, really good record. It's uh, the first record of theirs to feature Kevin Hearn Mm -hmm. uh, on keys. He had joined the band for Born on a Pirate Ship for the tour, but had not actually recorded with them until this one. Also, sadly, during the production of this album, he was diagnosed with leukemia. Yeah. And missed the tour for Stunt because he was uh, undergoing chemo at the time, which is incredibly sad, but he's okay now. Yeah. Which is really, really good. Yeah, I it really, I remember hearing something just off kilter about him being a cancer survivor, and I didn't realize it was this soon into, well, I mean, so young for one thing, but also just like this soon into coming with the band. Yeah, he, he had not been in the band for very long at all when this hit him, but by all rights, he has made a full recovery and is doing really really well and is a really welcome addition to the band i know that in the past episodes i've been talking about how much i miss andy cregan r.i.p gosh r.i.p r.i.p uh he's fine but just specifically there's a couple of tracks that we can get into in a little bit that just suddenly oh just really feeling kevin hearn's presence on this record it really they they just really start feeling like themselves i feel like they really have come into their own yes with this album yeah i agree and i think that like kevin hearn we talk about the bare naked lays being known for their witty onstage banter and just like how kind Mm -hmm. of out there and how gregarious they are in interviews and stuff. Kevin Hearn is very much the quiet one of the band, but he always looks so happy to be there. He's always got a smile on his face. Like no matter, he just seems like a very pl- 
pleasant man. I've never met him before. I'd love to. But he just always seems like a really happy guy. Yeah, and like insanely talented as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely insanely talented. Multi-instrumentalist. He plays so many different instruments on this album that really bring, I think, like a real uh, depth and breadth to the sound on the record, which is really, really cool. 100%. Um, To me, this felt, especially compared to Gordon and Born on a Pirate Ship, it felt a lot more like just a straight up alternative rock album rather than like a lot of like the jazz and folk influences that you heard on those albums are missing from this. I agree. I think what's weird about it is that it's almost like in every other album. So Gordon and Born on a Pirate Ship are thematically very similar for the styles that they're trying to do. Whereas Maybe You Should Drive is closer in tone and style to this album. But whereas Maybe You Should Drive kind of feels like a failed experiment, Stunt, they knock it out of the park. Yeah, it feels like they've just really refined that sound and really went for it. And uh, yeah, completely knocked it right out of the park. I also like on this album that there's basically a pretty even mix of Steve and Ed leads on this, especially compared to, I didn't realize some of the earlier records, there's only like two Ed songs or three Ed songs out of like a 12 or 13 track long record. And on this one, literally, I think it's about a seven, eight, no, like a six, seven split. And it's really good. I really like it. Yeah, it's good. I think that as, as we're getting into it, the only thing missing is old Jim Cregan doesn't get a track, which is a bit sad, but yeah, that's okay. He had two last albums, so. He had two last albums? Did he have one uh, on he Maybe did. He did. Oh, no, sorry. Andy Cregan did. That's yeah. right. Andy Cregan did, but not Jim. Yeah, that was the difference. I do like later on that they do give the rest of the band some time on the lead Vox, but this record is really, really nice for the amount of time that we spend with Ed and Steve, and it, they feel like really connected on this record as well, which is really, really nice. Also, I really enjoy the cover art, and I think I've mentioned this before, like what was with the late 90s and this like decoupage thing? There's just a lot of, shoot, what's the other word that I'm looking for? You know, when you, uh, when you stitch things together. Oh, like a pastiche kind of, or? Or, uh, uh, patchwork? Patchwork, that's it. That's what, We'll go with patchwork. Cut out? Anyway, but like, what is that aesthetic? It's like, it reminds me of the Maybe You Should Drive cover, but like, it also, again, it reminds me of like the cover of This Desert Life by Counting Crows or like the cover of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness also has that like paper cutout thing going for it. Yeah, it's very true. More, uh, more material for our coffee table book that we're talking about releasing. So we'll have a chapter about, you know, black and white old people photos in uh, albums and now we'll have the patchwork uh, chapter. Yeah, exactly. Patchwork, weird decoupage album covers. Oh, the 90s. So track one, one week. It's been one week since you looked at me. Incredible, absolute classic. Uh, so much to say about this, but it, like I don't even know where to start because it's such an important track to their discography. It's so good. <laughs> I want to start with, I think a really good talking point to begin with, Ephraim, is we've talked about how close we've been. We've been good friends for about 15 years. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Getting kind of personal, you were there for me at one of my lowest points when I was going through some tough stuff. You allowed me to stay at your place for a couple of nights. So, you know, I was crashing on your couch. We had a few beers and, you know, we had a really good heart to heart. But then a few too many beers in... You went on a 10-minute tangent about how amazing of a rapper Ed Robertson is and how he does not get the credit that he deserves. And you were so passionate about this that I want to bring that back right now on the air. I 
don't remember this conversation at all, and it's not because of the alcohol. I have a terrible memory. But I stand by what I said. I think, yeah, absolutely underrated as a rapper is Ed Robertson, especially because did you know that he freestyle wrote this song? I did not. That makes me have even more respect for him. Yeah, I was looking it up, and in 20... I, I, I don't know if this came out earlier than this, but at least Ed is on the record in 2018 saying that like he wrote the chorus and the basic structure of the song that's about the, the argument between two people that actually still do like each other, and of course they're going to make up, and it takes one week for them to come to terms with the argument, but that in between he wanted to do like rap verses, and he spent a really, really long time trying to write them, and was not getting anywhere when Steve... Steve said, you know, you're like really good at freestyling when we do concerts and stuff. You do those like freestyle bits. Why don't you just do that and see what you can get out of it? And apparently he just started recording, did four verses off the top of his head, which he then edited in, into two. And that's the song. Amazing. Absolutely insane because those verses are toit. They are. They are very toit. This song is the inspiration for why I wanted to do this podcast, to be Tell honest. Tell me more. <laughs> it came up when under quarantine, playing board games with my family, this song came on from a playlist. And my brother-in-law, Ryan, said, oh, is this, I think he said something like, I forget what band he was saying, but then he said, and I said, no, it's the Bare Naked Ladies. And he said, oh, okay, so that other one hit Wonder Band. Ah, yes. And I went, oh. Because this song is, for Canadians, I think If I Had a Million Dollars is a radio staple that I think when I was growing up, If I Had a Million Dollars was probably their most famous track or the one that I pretty much like identified the Bare Naked Ladies with. It was definitely the first one that I remember being able to identify with yeah. the band. Yeah. Their signature track, whereas this track is by far undeniably hot take, like the biggest track they've ever had. Like this is their yeah. song. It's not a one hit wonder by any stretch of the imagination, but it is the song that charted everywhere in the world. It charted in New Zealand. It charted in Australia. It was number three in the UK, I think. And then, of course, you were talking about how many units it sold in the US. So... They've never had this amount of success before. I think it has labeled them as a one-hit wonder in certain places where they don't understand the back catalog. Or the front catalog with that, Matt. <laughs> yeah, the front catalog. This is four albums in. But yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to start and talk about. Like, I mean, just in terms of personal opinions, I love this track. I think it's amazing. I think it's um, there's a reason why it was so successful because it's catchy. It's inspired lyrically. The music behind it is very upbeat. I think just off the top, it's an amazing opening track to an album them too mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i think that especially in the states as it is their most recognizable track and kind of the one that everyone knows it does lead to a lot of jokes like again the it's been um, in everything to which to a point made me not like it as much because of that place that it has in the wider pop milieu but then i was listening deeply to the album again this week and i'm like no i am wrong this is a banging track all of these verses are the the rhymes are so tight i cannot believe that he wrote it while freestyling yeah absolutely incredible song and i think deserved of being one of their most famous songs the one thing I would like to talk about before we move on to the next track, though, the final line, Birchmount Stadium, home of the Robbie. 
Ah, yes. So much speculation has gone into this, which I love. People are like, what is this? But it honestly is just, from what I understand, a throwaway line based on a school that was in Scarborough that they went by. Yeah, it's uh, Birchmount Stadium is located at Birchmount and Kingston Road in Scarborough, and it is famously home to the Robbie International Soccer Tournament, which bills itself as the world's largest annual charitable youth soccer tournament. So still going. And for a while, I think my sister told me this, at one point for quite a while, Birchmount Stadium actually changed its sign to Birchmount Stadium, home of Birchmount Stadium, home of the Robbie. That's amazing. Which I think is amazing. So good. Yeah. Second track, also just like such a hooky, poppy song. I, I, I'm sure a couple episodes from now we'll do like a like a top 10 tracks of our own, like what are our favorite Bare Naked Ladies songs. But like if you put a gun to my head, I feel like I might have to say It's All Been Done is my favorite Bare Naked Ladies song. I met All right. Tell me more. Yeah, it's just like a really hooky, poppy song. I like the idea that maybe these are literally two immortal lovers meeting across space and time. Like, it's probably a metaphor, but eh. yeah, like probably a metaphor for an on-again, off-again relationship. But like, I think that'd be cool if they were just, you know, immortal lovers meeting across space and time. And I've said this before, but it was like one of the first two MP3s I ever had downloaded for me. And it was also the, like the second Bare Naked Ladies song I ever really connected to the first being If I Had a Million Dollars. So it just, it's always going to have a special place in my heart. It's just, it's really good. It is, yeah. I, I really enjoy this track as well. A uh, couple of little funny anecdotes about it that I read in the liner notes for all their greatest hits, disc one, which I thought were very good, is that I think I spoke about this on the Gordon episode, but this song was written in direct response to feeling embarrassed about Enid because Stephen Page thought that Enid was too wordy. He said there are way too many lyrics in this song. So It's All Been Done was their attempt to make a streamlined song, which is why it's just It's All Been Done done woohoo it was just their version of like not trying to cram as many lyrics as they could in it which i think is really interesting it's really really interesting i still don't get why steve had a problem with the wordiness of enid like why would you be embarrassed about writing complex and interesting lyrics i don't know doesn't make a lot of sense to me I was never able to figure out what the girl is saying mm. in this song. You know, I, I've never been able to figure out what she'd just yawn and say. Yeah. Like that part of the thing. For the longest time, I thought it was, ah, I think I did it because it's like, it's all been done. Ah, she's done the thing as well. She did it. But it turns out it's, I, I think I read it's, uh, I think I hate it. Oh, okay. I don't know. Um, I like my version better. <laughs> The other funny thing about this track is it was their debut on Carson Daly's uh, TRL at that point. I forget what Carson Daly's show was in MTV. And he announced the song as It's All Been Good. And Stephen Page said, right then, I knew that we were done. <laughs> oh, no. I think they played this on SNL as well, didn't they? I would believe it. Like, yeah, it's probably like... one of those songs that they're their secondary one after, I'm sure, one week. But yeah. yeah, great, great track and deserving of being a single. Absolutely. Yeah, like, hands down, like, absolutely fantastic single. It's just so damn catchy i love it yeah and it's a really strong like one week followed by it's all been done really really strong opening to the album which kind of like leads into the next two no like three slower songs looking at the uh track listing light up my room is fantastic as well track three hydro field cuts through my neighborhood and somehow that always just made me feel good i can put a spare bulb in my hand and light up my yard 
yeah, first Ed Robinson-led song at this stage. I mean, you could argue, I guess, that one week is, you know, back and forth, but this is just kind of him on display. It's back and forth, and I always kind of, like, favor the Ed part in one week as well, just because, again, those rhymes are so great. But with Light Up My Room, I just, I really love the dreamlike quality of the, the song, both musically and lyrically. It's just, like, the descriptions of just, like, not very nice things like garbage and hydro fields and things like they're these important things of beauty i really really like it, it yeah very much so and it's it's very it's a very romantic song but also very like the the lyrics are very descriptive um like you said of that garbage of like hydro fields and about how i'm gonna use all this stuff to to light this up again i ask you this every single episode but how does this rank on the mountain goat scale the first three tracks <laughs> oh oh great yeah absolutely it's uh well first off it's four tracks so uh, we'll okay. get into the next one but yes absolutely no no i don't think that there's any sequencing that is off on this album it really really flows together quite perfectly yeah i wouldn't really switch anything around yeah i was also thinking recently that like i feel like light up my room has a similar sentiment to the uh to like kenny Loggins' danny's song you know, the, even though we ain't got money, because it's hmm. like a guy singing about how he, like, I don't know, I get the sense that he's talking about how he kind of like lives in a crappy neighborhood, because he's just describing all this stuff around his house as being like full of garbage and tire fires and hydro fields and things. But it's still the place where he's, where his home is and where he is in love. So, yeah, I don't know, that's... That's, I think that's what the song's about. Well, Ed Robertson does enjoy his country. He is very much inspired by, you know, that kind of genre. So I could I could very much see that, where this does kind of have a, well, we ain't got money, honey, but we sure got electricity. Oh, when you say Ed Robertson loves country, there's like, there's a track right at the end of the episode. I'm so excited to talk about it. We'll get to that in a minute. I'll Be That Girl is the first time I really noticed Kevin's presence. Okay. On the album. And yeah, he's just the best. I'll be that girl. Like the banjo and accordion on this track just adds another like level of depth to their sound that it's just oh it's so good yeah this is a really strong it's very very catchy i could see it i mean the four singles that this album produced are so strong but i could see i'll be that girl being a single that's how strong yeah. i believe it is just in terms of catchability if that's if that's a word replay value yeah actually now that you say that i'm kind of surprised that call and answer was the single rather than i'll be that girl yeah. Because I feel like it's a much more singly kind of song. It is, yeah. That's what kind of jumped out at me when I'm re-listening to it. I go, damn, like this is, I could see this being on the radio and just as you're driving and just kind of like nodding your head to it. It's very, very good. I also feel like this is the first classic Stephen Page good old unrequited love song to appear on this album. <laughs> it took a while, but sad boy Page has poked his head <laughs> He up. has arrived again. Also, like this isn't the first song that Stephen Page co-wrote with Stephen Duffy right. on their discography. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think we've mentioned him before because I'm learning so many new things about one of my favorite bands researching for this podcast because, wait, co-written by Stephen Duffy from Duran Duran? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Why? I guess I shouldn't tell him that I like Duran Duran off of Grade 9. Just uh, was a bit of an inside joke there. Oh, man, they knew each other at that point, too. That's hilarious. 
Yeah, Steve Duffy has, yeah, he's written a couple, at least like one per track in all the albums. And yeah, we really haven't talked about him that often, but like unsung kind of sixth member of the Bare Naked Ladies almost in the early days. Yeah, because he was kind of like a like an on-again, off-again writing partner with Stephen Page, which uh, I did not know until recently they, they met because Stephen Page wrote him a fan letter in 1987. So good. And then he heard a demo. I don't know if the demo was included with the fan letter or whatever it was, but he was like, oh, this kid has a, like, ah. Oh doing a terrible British accent. I was like, oh, this this kid over here has a great demo. I'm from England. I'm in Duran Duran. I'm going to write songs with him. We were originally called Duran. And then they said, well, just double it up. And then boom. <laughs> That's exactly what Stephen Duffy sounds like. He wrote Corrupt Jane as well, which is one of my favorite songs. Like, mm-hmm. really, really good. But they did not ask him to leave the band because they continued collaborating for a number of years. That being said, Stephen Duffy did not have anything to do with the song Leave. I've been formed you to be I can't afford to lose more sleep Which I did not know was kind of a sequel to I Am The Only One. Or, sorry, Am I The Only oh. One from... Uh, Maybe you should drive, because both of those songs are about Ed Robertson's brother, who tragically died in a motorcycle accident. Oh, God. Yeah. I really, I, I, I really, really like Leave. It's a really good ghost song, which I hope doesn't sound terribly insensitive, because it's about a real person. But yeah, it's just really evocative of trying to brush off the memory of a lost loved one, not because you don't want to remember them, but because it's like emotionally difficult to be constantly remembering them at all times. Yeah. 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 I I have, yeah, I think, I think you can tell it's very much about not coping mechanisms, but the memories or like dreams that you'd have when someone closest to you passes away. Mm -hmm. Like just those kind of fragments. I know that it almost sounds like now that you've told me that I didn't know that was, you know, the meaning behind it because clearly I didn't do my research, but I think that now that you've said that, yeah, it's, it's almost like waking up from a dream or just kind of saying, I don't want you to leave. Like you're trying to hold on to that memory. It's very, it is very evocative. Yeah. But like, yeah, but in the song, it's, it's I've informed you to leave. Mm. So it's him telling the ghost, please stop hanging around. This is too hard for me to always have you on my shoulder reminding me that you're not here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, like I said last episode about a lot of songs on Born of the Pirate Ship. I like that this is not, it's not another love song, that it's about something else. Yeah. I, I like the specificity of it. Yeah. Um, sad song, but really, really good. Yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also a sad song, despite the tone of the music, is track six. Man, Alcohol is a great song. It's so catchy and upbeat, but good lord, it is sad. Alcohol, my permanent accessory. Alcohol, a party-time necessity. The third (laughs) single. It's, you're very right, it is very dark lyrics with a very, very punchy and catchy upbeat sensibility. It is the song that it looks like the band's having the most fun with every single time I've seen them live. It's very interesting. It's always either in the encore or near the end when I've seen them. And strangely enough, Tyler Stewart always does the vocals on this song whenever I've seen them live. Really? They switch around instruments Uh, which they're known to do but this one specific song Tyler Stewart it's like his to sing even though he didn't sing it originally but this has now been adopted almost as his song like dude I'm 
I'm sure some of the shows that you're talking about, I was with you at. Yeah. I do not remember that. That's really, really cool. And now that I'm thinking about it, like, you know, for Tyler's voice, that absolutely fits. It does. This is yeah. a good song uh, for that dude. Yeah. Also written by Stephen Duffy as well mm-hmm. for this one. Duffy and Page. Mm-hmm. No, the Duffy and Page song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, that's that's the main thing I like about this song is just that dichotomy between the content of the lyrics being about the downsides of substance abuse, but also just how darn catchy it is. But yeah. But like that juxtaposition really, really works because a lot of the lyrics are about, even if they're not necessarily about the fun of drinking, they're fun lyrics. Like the lyrics are very fun until you realize what they're talking about. And they're like, oh, that's really sad. And it's, I think it's, yeah. For something that's such a catchy, upbeat pop song, it's got some, it's got some depth and I like it. This is probably the song that I noticed Kevin Hearn the most in. You talked about it before, but that kind of accord, not accordion, but that organ kind of sound. That's really when I went, oh, okay. Like this is, he's having fun and you're kind of seeing that influence in there. Very good song, catchy, very weird that it's become one of their lively staples in, in a show about uh, substance abuse but you know what they're having fun man and it's and it's good it's a very good song and we all know the dangers of alcohol so that's okay it's not preachy (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah and then we're gonna slow it down a bit moving on to uh track seven call and answer is really really beautiful it's getting I forgot that this was a single. It doesn't feel like a single to me. Yeah, it, it doesn't to me either. It's a funny thing about this song is that I didn't realize when I first heard it, I thought it was a call and response with Stephen Page and Ed Robertson. It's all Stephen Page, which surprises me. And even evidenced more so because seeing them when they've been a four piece without Stephen Page, Robertson sings this song and he does a really good job, but he can't, I think he's an amazing singer. They're both amazing singers for different different styles of song and so hearing him trying to do the call and response if you call i will answer i mean that belongs to steve page because robertson's doing a good job but i honestly this is the song that when i see them live now i think that they should retire yeah to be honest like they shouldn't play it live. it's so tough because i think there are a couple of songs like that that they maybe should retire because they are so easily identifiable with steven page but they're some of their most yes popular enduring songs and it's hard to do that when you're going on tour and your fans are wanting you to play all the hits and you can't Mm -hmm. play a good half to a third of your hits because the other guy was singing them yeah man we can dig deeper into that once we get to (laughs) that plot twist as we keep as we keep referring to it every episode i feel like like it's got a bit of a we can work it out kind of vibe to it yeah oh yeah yeah i could see that yeah because it's about the speaker saying to his lover that he's going to be there but we've had problems and we need to talk about this yeah yeah, it's, it's very much like sad boy page, but there's hope for the relationship. You know, if you fall, I'll pick you up. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll point you home in this disaster. Mm-hmm. And that little key riff in the middle by Kevin Hearn, mm-hmm. again, good stuff. Yeah. Yet again, because it's a bit of a sad boy page song, I find the lyrics a little, I don't know, I find the story of the song just a little bit boring. But the song mm. itself is just so utterly beautiful that I don't really care, which is nice. 
And at this point, the cassette would end? Like, side A would end, and you'd flip over to side B. But does that really matter at this point? Because it's 1998. Funny enough, there's there was actually a special cassette edition of this album that was released that had a bonus track on it oh. that I didn't include. That I don't think we've gotten the track listing here, but cassettes were, were still kind of a mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, no, so this would be the end of side A. So really weird that every single single is on the first half of the album. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. That is kind of, oh, that's neat. Yeah. But I think that does speak to, uh, in this time period, the the cassette and the side A, side B dichotomy doesn't really matter as much anymore because we've moved into the era of CDs. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because, yeah, because the first track on side B is in the car. We Yet again, I, I really like this song because it is a love song, but it's a really specific narrative love song about a really specific story. I love the specificity of the first three sides of Sandinista. Like, it's a great Clash reference. I think that, you know how you talked about how Am I the Only One and Leave are kind of connected? I feel like this song is what people thought the old apartment was. I think you've got someone talking about a relationship where they're both kind of too young or things didn't necessarily work out. It's very bittersweet, whereas people associate the old apartment with being, oh, this relationship didn't work out and he's stalking her. So that's just my, I I just think that there's a bit of a connection between those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because you would think before like the, the plot twist in the old apartment where it turns out they are still together that he's like going back to that place mm-hmm. to be nostalgic and relive those mistakes. And In the Car is also about someone talking about an early relationship and all of the mistakes and the callousness in that relationship. Yeah, so that, yeah, it is kind of the story that you think the old apartment is until that twist happens. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how they feel about playing it at concerts because it's like, sorry, mom, we're talking about the sex. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like it's it, this song is so good because it's like very evocative of that certain kind of teenage relationship. Yeah, they're definitely teens in this song that he's talking yes. like. Yeah, 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 okay, great. Yeah, that kind of like last relationship before you go off to college mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's just so well described. I feel like a lot of people can like see themselves in this narrative. Yes. Yeah, it's really cool because it is so specific and yet it does have a bit of universality to it there as well Mm -hmm. it's really really good (laughs) i just realized (laughs) taking a taking a tiny tiny break to go back to track one for a split second because i talked about the clash reference in in the car Mm -hmm. i did not mention how much i love the tribe called quest reference in the middle of one week oh yeah the chickity choco the chocolate chicken yeah so good anyway moving on never is enough Track nine. These next two songs by Ed really speak to me to the point that, like, did Ed know my feelings <laughs> when he was writing both of these songs? Never is Enough really, really speaks to me as someone who didn't super love university or working in retail. Yeah. Yeah, like I had like two different part-time jobs early in my life in a mall and I absolutely did eat in a food court with the old and the board. And I always hate Arby's. God, what was wrong with me? This really hit me where I live. (laughs) 
uh, yeah, it's very, very. It, it's almost not a not a bitter song because I mean, he he made something of his life. He realized that you know we're not gonna. I don't want to fit into this mold. It's it's really really inspiring actually. I think it is a great song. Also, I would say that that retail job that you had did inspire a really good sketch that we did where we were able to incorporate the Philadelphia Phillies mascot oh, yeah, into into a sketch. Oh yeah. I'll forever be thankful for uh, you working retail for that, which was great. Yeah. So the joke in that sketch again because one of the best things for anyone to do is to describe comedy sketches and not actually have you watch them because they're definitely just as funny when you describe them. That's why people are tuning in. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but no, but I, I wrote what I thought was a pretty good sketch about someone going into a into a clothing store and the associate trying to figure out what they want to buy, but they're slowly just specifically describing the Philadelphia Phillies mascot costume. <laughs> I don't know. It was pretty good. Go watch it on YouTube. I don't think we put that one on YouTube. We'll never know. Um... <laughs> Is is Ed Robertson anti-education? Oh, uh, with the whole PhD thing? I think it's tough. I think that, I don't think he's anti-education. I think that it just, being in school for upwards of 12 plus years is not what he wants, which is fine. Yeah. And despite the fact that this record came out in 1998, I feel like this song and like, and that sentiment can really land with some millennials that have spent far too much time and money on degrees that have not necessarily helped them as much as they were hoping they were going to. Yes. In their job search. So I think maybe it's a bit of a prescient song that way. But yeah, it's really, really catchy. I like it a lot. Yeah, I do as well. I also noticed that so far, unlike the first three records we've talked about, we haven't really disliked any songs yet. No, I think that that... Like, they're really knocking this They're really knocking this one out of the park. They really are. I think that they've grown, and I mean, it shows... I think it shows things started working, things clicked. Like, they were trying things, you know, Experimental and Gordon, that worked really well, did a separate song writing schedule in Maybe You Should Drive, where they didn't really collaborate together. Born on a Pirate Ship, going back to that experimentation, but only being four of them. And now you've got Kevin Hearn in there, you've got them collaborating together, they're just firing on all cylinders. Yeah, which I think is, you know, like a good explanation for why this was the breakout hit album that they had in the States, because they've really, really refined their sound. They probably weren't having too much time for napping. I love it. While writing this record, leading us to track 10, Who Needs Sleep? Gosh, this song also really, really hits me where I live because I had massive insomnia problems in grade 10. Mm. I got so little sleep the summer between grade 10 and 11, which would have been like, no, that was a number of years after this album came out, but pretty close. Yeah, it's a really, really evocative description of having insomnia. And I really, again, like that it's a song about something you don't normally write songs about. Yeah. It's true. I, I'm a very bad sleeper at the best of times. Um, mm. I've learned recently, being diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood, that that is a common symptom of that. So interesting yep. to kind of know. Not that there's a solution, but that's okay. So We're all working on ourselves. I also wonder, because they are big fans of R&B and different styles of music, who needs sleep? Well, you're never going to get it. I wonder if that's like, there's a very famous R&B song that goes, oh, you're never going to get it. Then you're never going to get it. And I'm like, oh, wonder. I have absolutely no idea what that song is. 
but it's a theory? We like theories on this show. That's good. We're known for our witty on-record on theories. <laughs> yeah, and like Ed Robertson might count sheep in heartbeats while he's trying to sleep, but occasionally I have sung this song to myself while trying to get over insomnia. Oh, that's cool. I so like that. that's nice. Well, because the thing is like one of the, I don't know, for anybody out there listening that also uh, has had intermittent trouble with insomnia throughout their lives, the idea that who needs sleep while well, you're never going to get it, that kind of helps you get over the insomnia because yeah like eh, whatever you're never gonna get it it's nothing you can do and it kind of takes the pressure off of trying to fall asleep because you can't fall asleep when you're thinking about falling asleep yes i completely agree i think the worst the worst thing you can do to yourself is start thinking about how many hours until you have to wake up and put that pressure on yourself very similar to i get kind of inspired when i hear success stories about people who went like oh i only have four hours of sleep a night and i'm like well that's probably not healthy in the long term but it it, it makes it, it's nice to know that there are uh, sleep isn't the be all end all and it's okay and yeah just let yourself mm-hmm. off the hook yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, again, because the worst thing that can happen is you pull an all-nighter, you're kind of tired tomorrow, but at some point you will fall asleep. Again, who needs sleep? You're never going to get it. Exactly. <laughs> who needs sleep? Tell me what's that for. The last three tracks on this record I do not know nearly as intimately as I do the first ten, and I don't know why. Hmm. Do you not connect with them, do you find? Like, do you still enjoy the tracks, or is no, it... No, 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 I, I enjoy the tracks. I'm just thinking that every time I listen to this album, did I just, like, get bored around track 10, and I just haven't really listened to tracks 11, 12, and 13 as often? I don't know, because I had to, I had to like, really, really think about the next three songs. Told You So is a really, really pretty song. I didn't tell you which way to go, because I thought you'd know. I feel like Ed has used this this like acoustic picking pattern before. Like I had to go listen to a bunch of other songs to figure out what it was reminding me of, but it kind of reminds me of songs we have definitely not talked about yet, both For You off Everything to Everyone and Ordinary off All in Good Time. Mm. Like it has, has a really, really similar picking pattern. Yeah, I could see that. I'm very similar to you. Like this track, I really don't have a particularly thought around the meanings. But if according online speculation, a lot of people have said it's anything from a toxic relationship breaking up to someone dying of AIDS. So there's a lot of different interpretations surrounding this. The theory I read the most, again, on the internet about this song was also the it's about a close friend dying of AIDS. Yeah. I absolutely never got that out of this song. I think that people are focusing too much on the viral infection line, but that could yeah. definitely be a metaphor. And also, mm-hmm. if it is about a friend dying of AIDS, Told You So is a very callous name for a song. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the thing. Is I, I, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm just reading into what I would like to think Ed Robertson's real-life personality is, but I feel like if that is what this song is about, it's kind of like a mean, callous perspective to have on that event. So I would hope that that's not the narrative of the song. Sad Boy Page and Jerk Boy Robertson. I know. I don't. I don't want that to be a trope, though. I don't think it's. Say it ain't so, Ed. Say it ain't so. <laughs> Speaking of those two nice boys singing together, so some fantastic is great. Oh, good song. good song again because i definitely have not listened to these last three tracks nearly as much as i have the rest of the record mm-hmm. it was really really nice revisiting this song and getting to know it a bit more than i had before i really like the levity on this song i feel like it shares a lot of dna with if i had a million dollars 
Yes, true. Being uh, very fantastical and just thinking about, just aspiring. Hey, this is what I'm going to do. If, if, if I have this, I'm going to build a satellite. I'm going to uh, raise a bunch of animals. I'm going to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the same way, it's like, oh, we'll have a tree for it with craft dinner in it and, and stuff. It's like, it's, yeah, I was about to say, it's got a very fantastical bent. Oh, the song is named some fantastic. Very, very good. I also didn't know until recently, apparently the subtitle of this song is Ivory and Ivory. Okay. <laughs> Woof. I don't know. Ugh. Which is obviously it's a joke that there's the Ebony and Ivory duet with Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney. And this is two white guys singing a duet. So it's Ivory and Ivory. I'm, I am I feel like this joke doesn't really have legs, guys. It was a, it was a certain time. <laughs> so also, Chris, do you remember a little bit earlier when I said I did not have any sequencing issues with this, with this album? Yes. I totally lied. I think wish that this was the last track i would definitely switch when you dream in some fantastic yeah i actually i agree i think that that's very similar to crazy and if i had a million dollars my my whole gordon thing about switching things around i think it's very similar i think that some fantastic would be a great closer when you dream is nice but yeah some fantastic just has that especially when you come off of some very serious and melancholy tracks it's almost like Mm -hmm. you're wishing you're kind of you're, you're you're ending on a positive note almost did they maybe think that like told you so and when you dream were both too slow to put in a row yeah one after the other i don't know maybe you could have moved one of the singles from the front end to the end there just kind of switching around the track come on guys stop front loading everything (laughs) the front loaders they were debating about that name for a while yeah alternate name for the bare naked ladies the front loaders (laughs) all right we have three votes for the front loaders four votes for the bare naked ladies Stephen duffy you don't get a vote it's really why andy cregan left he was still butthurt about this (laughs) about about them not naming it the front loaders i'm going to mcgill what a fantastical dreamlike alternate reality we've crafted speaking of which when you dream (laughs) uh, Uh, the last track on the original release of this song when you dream what do you dream about so interesting biographical thing apparently at this point in their lives Stephen Page had had his first kid okay and apparently this song was inspired by Stephen Page just watching his little baby boy sleep yeah I could very much see that and that's really that's adorable that's really sweet I like that that's really cool like just seeing the and we're going to talk about it as we get to more albums but seeing the almost we're growing up with the band he's talking about fatherhood now and I think recently on tours Ed Robertson's daughter has come and sung on tracks with him so it's really cool just to kind of see this is the beginning of them you know they're starting their personal lives like they've got this professional success and now this is like the beginning of like his transformation to fatherhood very cool Mm mm-hmm yeah, and it's just like a really, yeah, it's a really, really pretty song. Got a lot of really, really nice imagery in there. Um, and I like the Del Shannon reference. This <laughs> yeah, oh, true. Oh, three references to existing songs on this record. That's cool. They're very, I mean, that's one of the things I love about them. They're very, they wear their heart on their sleeve and their mm-hmm. minds too. And then they take off their shirts. But I think that what's what's cool is that, yeah, they're very candid about their musical inspirations and their heroes. So, yeah, just those mm-hmm. subtle drops into different bands playing Rush or Tom Sawyer. Again, that really, really sweet Tribe Called Quest reference in the middle of one week. They know what they like and they're and they're calling out to their heroes. And I think that's really cool. It is funny. Ending the album on this is just like, what, what are you thinking, baby? And then just the end. <laughs> What is life? (laughs) 
you know like how some songs end with like a do 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 you know like some songs have like a really hard ending and some songs especially like older like 80s songs have like a slow fade out i feel like this is the equivalent of ending your record on a slow fade out and what makes me really sad now that we're just talking about this is yeah. if you switched around these songs when you dream and then some fantastic it would be what are you dreaming about and then you've got someone talking about all the things they're gonna do one day oh man how good would that be that has a narrative through line why didn't they ask us two 12 year old boys to work with them on this record <laughs> We would have been able to steer them straight. They ignored all of our letters, and Steve Duffy didn't ignore your letters. You should know better. Say, Stephen, where would you be if Stephen Duffy ignored your, ignored your letter, if you had just read our letters? Are we going to talk about bonus tracks? We can. I want to talk about bonus tracks. Please, by all means. Is that okay? Yeah, okay, let's do cool. it. So do you know both of the bonus tracks on this album? There are actually three bonus tracks if you if you um, count for Get In Line, which they just tacked onto the special edition a few years later. I thought that was uh, first ever released on disc one. I think, well, so originally, well, we'll get right into it. So originally Get oh, In okay, Line great. was originally released on the King of the Hill soundtrack because it was a song that was done for King of the Hill. Ah! Very good. The music video had them in the animated style. Mike Judge did the music video, which is pretty awesome. Oh, that's so cool. So then I think afterwards, yes, then it was on disc one and then it was on stunt. So I guess retroactively, no, it probably isn't a bonus track. Um, I just like mm -hmm. Get In Line and we'll talk about it later on. No, great song. I'm not super familiar with the bonus tracks, so I'd love you to talk about them. So the first one that I know of, which I believe was the original track uh, 14, is She's On Time, which mm. is very funny. That's a very, very funny song. She's on time, she's on time, I actually do like that song. I do I do know it. I, don't, I won't know enough about the catches, but just she's on time. She's on time. Like it's she's on time. Very she's catchy. On time. Well, do you well, it's just it's I think it's the best and only song I know that was written about the rhythm method. <laughs> So, like, it actually, like, like, no, but it actually is, though, if you haven't listened to the lyrics recently. <laughs> it's Stephen Page singing for a good three and a half minutes about how happy he is that his girlfriend isn't pregnant. Oh, my God. It's great. It's a very funny song. It's a very, very funny song. Wow. All right. And it's the perfect time of the month, they say, for love. It's a great, it's a very, very funny song. And then the second bonus track is track 15. So honest to God, real thing. I did not listen to this song until today because like I was looking at my copy of Stunt and I only had one of the two bonus tracks and I don't know why that is. And so I thought, oh, if I'm going to do this episode, uh, I don't really want to talk about the bonus track. She's on time is kind of funny, but eh, who cares? But uh, uh, I might as well listen to the other one just in case Chris wants to talk about bonus tracks. I want to know what I'm talking about. Um, it's my new favorite song. The Long Way Back Home? Yeah, yeah. It's like a present from 1998. I had never heard this song until today, and it is one of my favorite Bare Naked Ladies songs already. We're talking about Ed's country influences mm -hmm. before. Like that slide guitar on this track does it for me. I love this song. Look at that. Look at this is this is why we do this podcast. We can just rediscover uh, these these hidden gems from 22 years ago. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So I said, and like, and of course, I like the song with the weird all country tone to it because again, we did establish earlier in the episode, I am wearing a weaker than shirt, and they also love their slide guitar <laughs> on on their albums, but. 
so because you are a big fan of narrative through lines and structure in an album, mm-hmm. can you understand why these tracks were just bonus tracks? Can you see them fitting in the normal release of this? What, what are your thoughts on them being bonus tracks? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that because it is my new favorite song that The Long <laughs> Way Back Home was not on the actual record or even that it wasn't a single, but it does have this kind of like alt country kind of feel to it, which might have made the record execs scared a little bit i don't know i don't know i think she's on time which i have heard now that i think about it is quite good i think that she's on time could have fit between the uh last few tracks there of the real album and maybe broken up some of the slower songs yeah at that point but yeah i know that um stunt had a vinyl release in 2015 where they packaged those as part of the full album and get in line as well so i think that anyone who's discovering and on spotify it's actually now all of those tracks are together at that stage because the 20th anniversary edition came out two years ago which again you talk about important albums not every album gets a 20th anniversary release so it just again speaks to speaks to how important this album is and apparently they are do they are doing a similar release with maroon this Ooh, year that's a stay tuned which i'm kind of excited about and i was just looking at the oh they included the bonus tracks on the vinyl release i hate it when people do that because I like just having one disc. I am not a huge fan of the double vinyl of double LPs, the old double vinyl. But I was just looking at like, oh, wait, but the original record is 51 minutes, which wouldn't have fit on one disc anyway. Then, oh, uh, yes, of course, please put the bonus tracks on. Exactly. Because I am a huge nerd and only got into vinyl six years ago, and now I love it so much, and I'm really obnoxious about it. So great. So what are your what are your final thoughts on the album? My final thoughts on the album are that I really do understand why this was their breakthrough record for the rest of the world. It is definitely their most accessible and front-to-back, highest quality track-per-track record that they have put out. They've really, really refined the straight-up alternative rock sound that they were kind of going for on Maybe You Should Drive and turned it into like a knock-it-right-out-of-the-park kind of album. For me personally, again, I I like their folkier stuff, which is why this is only one of my favorite records of theirs and not my favorite, favorite record of theirs. I'm kind of similar. I'd say this wasn't, this wouldn't even be in my top five. My top 10, definitely. Really? Yeah. Okay, I I don't think so. I I really do enjoy Stunt. I think it's very important for the band. I'm very happy Mm -hmm. for them, for the success that it brought, rightly so. It's also really interesting because you were talking about the different bands around that time who were releasing, you know, similar album covers or like the Counting Crows, Mm -hmm. Smashing Pumpkins. I listen to those bands and their sound is very dated to that specific time. Yeah. This... This album is of a certain time. Like, it very much is. I could see this being played on the radio in the late 90s, people with this. But it feels more timeless than those other albums. Yeah. It feels like this could come out, like, a couple of years. Like, this could have come out in 2018, and it would still fit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and another reason, you know, a 20th anniversary version of this album comes out two years later. It holds up, and it's still very much, like, it. yeah, it just feels, what they're talking about in this album is, they're, they're themes that still resonate today. And I think it's really, really good, and a very nice debut for Kevin Hearn. Yeah. And thank God he's okay. It was really kind of very sad to hear about the troubles that he went through after this especially when they're experiencing their first taste of success and i'm so glad that you know he's in remission and that you know he's continued to be a a big part of the band and that he's just always smiling and happy yeah and again such a talented guy good lord 
I feel like you're talking about like kind of like a timeless sound. I feel like Gordon felt a little bit of its time. Yeah. But all three of the subsequent albums have had that same kind of still sound pretty current for again an alternative folk band yes <laughs> like i mean this doesn't share a lot of dna with the uh, billy eilish or any of that other 2020 stuff but i mean for the genre if one week came out in 2020 it would be mumblecore <laughs> mumble rap in the uh, in the middle instead of you know very clear oh, and, and, and pointed lyrics let me freestyle all right let me just get that trap sound down <laughs> it's like oh no one week featuring earl sweatshirt <laughs> It's a very different song. I would welcome that collaboration. It would be very interesting to see what they what they do, but yeah. You know what? I said it as a joke, but now I want to hear it. Any other thoughts on this record? Christopher Small. No, I think that, that we've both said said everything that needs to be said about the album, to be honest. Fourth, it's, again, their, their breakthrough, very important album. Very weird that it charted higher in the U.S. than Canada. Maybe it's that thing that everyone talks about Canadians being, where, you know, someone has a taste of success outside of Canada and people get salty. I don't know if that had something to do with it, but... It's like we're an entire nation of contrarians like me, that the second it's the popular thing, you just immediately have an instinctual distaste for it, which is maybe why. I had to get back into this album because I knew it was their most famous one and kind of get over myself and be like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's the most popular one. <laughs> but it's really, really good. It is, yeah. Who cares? Amazing. Well, we'll be back next week with the next album chronologically in the Bare Naked Ladies discography. But between now and then, Chris, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on the internet on Twitter at csmall201. Uh, speaking a lot about wrestling and UFC and, and a couple of points about the election, which as of this recording is going to be happening in four days in America. And we need some sort of brevity and fun in our lives because that looks like it's going to be a terrifying week coming up. <laughs> Things just got real for a second here on our lighthearted pop culture podcast. Oh, God. You can also find me on Instagram at csmalltraveler. As of this recording, again, November is just about to happen. So this will be my 10th year doing my Movember campaign. So you're going to see a lot of growth happening indoors mostly because if I'm outdoors, I'm going to be wearing a mask and you won't be able to see much of that anyways. But if I take photos of me in a mask, take my word for it. There's a majestic mustache underneath and you should donate. Amazing. And I am Ephraim Ellis. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Ephraim Ellis. Again, I'm kind of not super active on Twitter these days, but I'm uh, decently active on Instagram. You can uh, head on over there for mostly selfies and pictures of my cat, who is adorable. He is an adorable cat. I can vouch for that. So next time we're going to be digging into the new millennium with the Bare Naked Ladies with their year 2000 release, Maroon. We'll see you then. And just a reminder, everybody, we have been clothed this the whole, whole time. time. <laughs> see you next week, everybody.